0: Praise team. If you have your Bible today, please open it to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. And while you're turning there, this is what God's word says. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, a standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now before we get into this parable of Jesus, it's important for me to tell you a little bit about the book of Luke and tell you a little bit about where this verse sits in the flow of thought for Luke because what I don't ever want to do is cherry pick. Uh, The words of Jesus are in this particular place on purpose. I want us to acknowledge that, but I want us to have a framework or a coat rack as it were To hang the pieces of content on that we're going to talk about today so that we can take it with us Because it does us no good to sit here with God's Word open if we don't take it with us and live in light of it when we leave Um, The Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the Physician Uh, He's a Gentile, that means he's not of Hebrew heritage He is a very often missionary partner and co-worker of the Apostle Paul in the epistles. We know that for sure. Uh, This gospel was written in the early 60s AD, which would make it roughly three decades the other side of Calvary. Luke writes this work, the gospel of Luke, as a part one or volume one of a two-volume set, uh, the second of which being the book of Acts. But those books have one common purpose and that is to present Jesus as God and to talk about the things that Jesus did, the things that Jesus said, the places that Jesus went and also his birth, death, resurrection and ascension back to the Father. But the book of Acts adds to all that What happened with the message of Jesus, the gospel, after Jesus ascended back to the Father? What happened with his early followers, the early church? And the book of Acts records for us what Paul Harvey used to call on the radio when I was a kid the rest of the story. In other words, what went down after Jesus left the scene in bodily form? We know that the person of Jesus would be present in the book of Acts and the person of the Holy Spirit that would indwell the believers to talk and think and act in light of the gospel and to glorify God by their life. We know that for sure, but the person of Jesus in bodily form wouldn't be on the scene like the apostles were used to him in the gospels. And... The book of Luke has a lot of major signposts in it or guardposts in it that give us the timeline. And the last major guardpost or fence post for timeline in the gospel of Luke is chapter 19, verse 28. That marks for us the beginning of the last section, which will focus on what we call Passion Week. It'll focus on Calvary, it'll focus on the resurrection, and it'll focus on what happened with Jesus when he was risen from the dead. And this parable is in the section of Scripture just before that, and it's the last flurry of parables and interactions that Jesus will have before he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, which would be in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 that says Behold daughter of Zion your king is coming Humble and riding on a donkey's colt In other words Zechariah hundreds of years before Is putting God's people on notice that when the Messiah comes He will come this way into Jerusalem And so this parable Is is smack dab in the middle of that section that is jesus's last concentrated flurry of activity before the triumphal entry and we are blessed in chapter in verse 9 of chapter 18 because there's a little commentary about the purpose of the parable it says and he also spoke this parable he being jesus To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's the reason Jesus gave this parable. And when we talk about a parable, it's important to realize what a parable is and how we want to study it. A parable is a common everyday story that Jesus would tell with everyday familiar elements in it that the people who heard it would be familiar with. But remember, it's not just a story for the sake of a story. Jesus is making a greater point about who he is or a greater point about his kingdom that he doesn't want us to miss. And when we study a parable, it's good to think about a parable like a three layer piece of double chocolate cake. And we want to ask three questions What does the text say? What does the text mean? And how do we use the text? In other words, investigation, explanation, application. And these questions are what I want to answer in our discussion today. And I want us to get Jesus' main point at the end of it. Now on the face of it, in verse 10, we read that two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Well, that's important to realize that men in the first century, Jewish men, went up to the temple often to pray. There were... Specific times throughout the day that men would go to the temple to pray and to meet with God And we know from Jesus' story that one of them is a Pharisee and one of them is a tax collector Pharisees at the time of Jesus were religious leaders they would number most Bible teachers tell us around 6,000 they were important because Their seat of influence and power was the temple and all the things that went on there But they were important also because they were were instrumental in helping God's people understand what the law said and how to live in light of that contrast that with the other man who went to the temple to pray that day in Jesus' story the tax collector well who were tax collectors in the first century Palestine was under Roman rule in the first century and Rome set tax quotas and tax collectors One of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, was a tax collector for Rome before Jesus called him as a disciple. And tax collectors had those quotas. They would collect the quota and give that money to Rome, but they did something else on top of that. They collected more and kept it for themselves. And so tax collectors were seen as traitors to their people and to put it in everyday language, lower than dirt in the eyes of everybody around them at the time. And Jesus says that two men went to the temple to pray. It's important to realize that two men, those two men had different attitudes when they went to pray. And they focused on different things when they went to pray. But we know from the scripture that we read that only one of those men went home to his house right with God when he went to pray that day. And I want to start with the Pharisee because that's where Jesus starts. And we learn in verse 10 that the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple to pray, but in verse 11, Jesus tells us a little bit about him and what he prayed. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector, and then he goes on in verse 12, the Pharisee, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess, Well, the first thing I want us to see is the attitude of the Pharisee. The attitude of the Pharisee is pride. Because what does he start off with? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. If you looked at it in the original, it means to look down your nose in contempt and disdain at. In other words, the Pharisee is looking down his nose at everybody around him and he's saying to himself, and and worse, worse than that, he is saying to God in his prayer, I thank you that I'm not like them. He's proud. And what is the Pharisee's focus? He says, I fast twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I possess. The Pharisee's focus is the things that he has done. Now, the things that he lists, let's be honest, they aren't bad things. Because fasting and tithing are things that we see God's people doing frequently in Scripture in the Old Testament. But the issue is not the things that the Pharisee is doing. The Pharisee is depending on those things that he's doing to make him right with God. He is doing something with those good things that he is involved in that Scripture clearly says can't be done. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says that we've been saved by grace through faith not of ourselves, not by works, so nobody can boast. In other words, there'll be nobody on the judgment day who stands up and says, God, you ought to let me into your heaven because look what I did for you. It won't happen. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 16 says clearly that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, the good things that we do were never intended to make us right with God, and they never can. They never can. It's the ultimate arrogance to think that something we do can make us right in the sight of a holy God. But that's what the Pharisee has done in his approach to God. And I want to contrast, because Jesus does in verse 13... The tax collector. Verse 13 says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. And I'll stop right there. The tax collector is apprehensive even to pick his head up in God's presence. Standing afar off means exactly what it says. He was uncomfortable getting too close. It made him nervous going in the door. Something didn't sit quite right with the tax collector. And we know from what comes next a little bit about the heart of the tax collector, the attitude of the tax collector because in the end of verse 13 it says but he beat his breast and I'll stop right there in the Old Testament there were several classic expressions that would illustrate to the people around you deep emotional distress in other words anguish of soul those things would be things like shaving your head and putting ashes on your head Or grabbing your clothes and tearing them, signifying I'm tearing these clothes to let you know on the inside I'm torn up because of something that has happened. And the last one would be to thump yourself hard on the chest like this. So we know that the tax collector is distraught. If you read a little further in the Gospel of Luke, you will read that at the crucifixion, the people in the crowd who saw what had gone on, they had witnessed the death of Jesus. Their reaction was to beat their breast and return to Jerusalem. That's what you read in chapter 23 if you go on to Luke's explanation of Calvary. So what's going on with the tax collector? The tax collector is in deep... Anguish of soul his sins have bothered him to the point where he can't even pick his head up to pray and he says God have mercy on me a sinner right. so the tax collector knows that no matter what good things he has done they aren't good enough right. he knows that he needs God's mercy. He knows that he needs God's forgiveness. He knows that he needs God's compassion and he cannot take it anymore. And to put it in everyday language, the man is coming unglued in God's presence regardless of who it is, Pharisee included, who happens to be witnessing that. Would we be so sensitive of our own sins? Because in church culture today, we don't have sins. We have shortcomings. We have failings. We have things that we should have done that we didn't know. No, God says that when we act and think and talk and do in a a manner that is contrary to how He would want us to live, in a manner contrary to what His Word says, it's not a, a shortcoming, it's a sin. And it offends God's heart. It hurts His heart. The thing is, is that God has the same reaction as the tax collector in the parable because when we sin, it bothers God. I know in our world today, we like to whitewash it and sweep it under the rug, but I'm here to tell you, God does no such thing. And how do we know that's that's not what God does? We know because He sent the one and only son that he ever had or ever will have to deal with sin on the cross at the sacrifice of himself. That's how we know God is serious about sin. He is not playing. May we be the same. May we come in God's presence just like the tax collector and not give a plug nickel who is here. If we want to get on our face before God, do so. That's what church is for. If you want to pray, pray. If you want to walk outside and get on your knees, if you want to come down here at the stairs and get on your knees, that's what church is for. This is God's house. And I hate to tell you, emotions should come with it. It's not about feelings, but feelings come with it. If you can be in God's presence and it's ho-hum and and, and it's just what we do before we go eat, ladies and gentlemen, there is a problem. May we always have sensitive hearts like the tax collector. May we always acknowledge our sin like he did. Will we always, always, always beg God for mercy like he did? And never treat him common? Because when we sweep our sin under the rug and we act like it doesn't matter and we will do it again tomorrow because we know there's grace for us, who do we think we are? We're people that God has been good to. And it ought to matter in how we live and how we talk and how we think and how we act and our priorities in this world. And God forgive us when it's not. God forgive us when it's not. It's the ultimate arrogance to think that God looks at our sin like we do. Because he doesn't. And if you want to stay close to the Lord because I don't know about y'all being a Christian in this world cost, price tag is high and it keeps going up. It'll keep going up till Jesus comes. If you want to do this thing right, follow Jesus right, like God intended, then we got to be like the tax collector. We got to beg God for mercy. We got to confess our sins. We got to repent of those sins. We got to turn around and walk the other way. And more than that, we got to beg God for his mercy and his grace so we can live every day in a way that would honor him in this world. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? <coughs> Killing time before we go to jalapenos. But Jesus paid too much for us to treat him like that and our sin like that. Too much. Jesus could have stopped right there. But Jesus is on a roll in this parable. And in verse 14, he keeps right on going. And he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. i want to stop right there at justified. What does justified mean? Justified means in right standing with. Jesus is telling us clearly in verse 14, one man, which man? The tax collector. Went down to his house justified right with God rather than the other. Well, who is the other? The Pharisee. And then Jesus continues. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The point Jesus wants us to get is that humility is crucial, critical, Absolutely necessary, a must-have ingredient, the right standing before God. Without humility, we won't see ourselves the right way. We won't see our sin the right way. And most importantly, we won't see Him the right way. We have to have humility. Well, I got news for you. Humans don't come with humility built in. Because we want what we want when we want it. We're selfish. By definition, that's what sin is by definition. Selfishness. I don't care what God said. I don't care what he wants me to do. I want what I want and I want it right now. That's what sin is. And you can call it that all the way across the board. How do we get the humility that's necessary to see ourselves and our sin and God the right way. How do we do it? We have to ask God to give it to us because it doesn't come built in. James chapter 4 and verse 6. And so he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We come to God and we say, God, I need a humble heart and you have to give me one because I don't have it in and of myself. So please help me to be humble before you. Help me to see myself clearly and see my sin clearly and, and see you clearly, so I can live in a way that would honor you in this world. And how do we do that? We have to ask you. And see, in our world today in church culture, especially there's a trend that says we need to focus on the gospel, and we do. And people need to come to Christ, and they do. Nobody's discounting the need for salvation because on your, etern- your eternity stands and falls on whether or not you have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. But, after a person comes to Christ, you still have sin you have to confess. You still have sin you have to repent of. You still have a life to live, to follow him as a disciple, to bring him honor by your words and your actions and your thoughts and your motives and everything going on underneath the surface. And to do that, to be a credit to Jesus in this world, you have to be humble. You have to. So we have to ask him for it. Beg him for it. And the reason we want to do that is so that we can see ourselves in him correctly, but also so that we can be usable So that he delights to use us and pick us up in his hands and plug us into places and situations and conversations and spheres of influence so that in our life, in this world, we can give him the most glory possible. Every single minute of every single day for however many years it is that he blesses us to be on this planet before we go home to be with him forever in heaven. Because our lives are not about us. Not about the things we wear. Not about the things we have. Not about the things we drive. And don't get me wrong. Possessions are nice. But our lives are supposed to be about Him. That's why we didn't go to heaven on the express train when we got saved. That's why we're here. Because there's a life He wants us to live. So remember our last question this morning. Not just what the parable says, and not just what does it mean, but how do we use it? Well, you can ask yourself, do I approach God with humility? Do I view myself like his word says that I have to? Because to to view ourselves like God would intend, we have to agree with him about what his word says and allow ourselves to be held under the sway of that. In other words God's word has weight in our life. It's not just somebody talking on a podcast somewhere. It's God's word to us and because God is talking then it has authority. Amen. And if we're going to do that it all starts with humility. And, and, and we have to ask him for it. So ask yourself do, do I have the humility that I need? And I know summertime You guys, if you're like me, you like to be outside, at the beach, fishing, just somewhere with some sunshine. And one of the things you need when you're outside is sunglasses, preferably polarized, because when you put them on, it takes all the glare and everything and minimizes it. In other words, it tints everything that you see when you have your shades on, right? That humility is supposed to tint every interaction that we have with God and people in this world just like a pair of Ray-Bans or Bahama gyms or Costa Del Mar's or whatever it is that you wear every single day that's what humility is supposed to do that's Jesus' point that's why he says what he says when he says whoever exalts himself will be humbled in other words I don't care where you think you are I'm going to correct you and put you where you really are that's what he says And we have such an opportunity. And I'm not talking down to you this morning. I would never dream of doing that. I'm nobody. I'm just somebody he's been good to. But I don't want to miss my opportunity. And I don't want you to either as individuals. And I don't want our church as a group to miss the opportunity because we're on the corner of Johnny Mercer and Penwaller for a reason. We're here for a reason. You guys are here for a reason. The circles that we operate in on a daily basis outside of here when we leave here is not by happenstance. It's on purpose. Would we always be humble people? Would we always be usable people? Would we always be people quick to give other people the spotlight if that's what's called for as long as Jesus gets the glory? It shouldn't matter what happens to us and that's what the Pharisee missed in the parable he missed it and to make matters worse he knew what God's word said and he still missed it because he was concerned about outward things and he neglected the condition of his heart before God but this tax collector that nobody had time for got it right he got it absolutely right. And I want to pray for you and I'm done. But I would beg you this morning. If you know that something is not right in how you view yourself. If you know that something is not right in how you view God. If you know that something is not right in how you view other people. Don't miss your opportunity. Because you're not here to impress the person next to you and you're not here to impress me or the worship team or Adam or anybody else in this building or in the parking lot or on the planet for that matter you're here because God wants to do business on the inside of you God wants to teach you about himself God wants to make sure that you're different when you leave and only God can do that work so I would beg you this morning Just forget about all the other things that you've got on your to-do list for today for just a second. Just put it in pause, pump the brakes, and ask yourself, do I have the right or am I off base? And if you are off base, ask God to give you the courage to really do business with Him so that you can get back on base. Because Jesus is worth that. Jesus is worth all the uncomfortableness and what people might say to you at work tomorrow and what might happen in your own mind because you don't really want to deal with that because, let's be honest, we get uncomfortable when Jesus tells us about ourselves, don't we? We do. I do too. That's part of it. But if Jesus is willing to go to the cross for you, Jesus is willing to die for you while people were running their mouths, Jesus was willing to give you the opportunity to know him in an intimate way. And you, you have his word in your heart language. You can understand it. Some people on this planet don't have that opportunity. We have so much at First Baptist of the Islands. We have material things that other congregations would kill to get. We have so many people here because the Lord's blessed us. And they really care about the things they ought to care about. Let's care about him enough to be humble. And if we're not, ask him to make us so. So that whatever people say about First Baptist. And let's be honest. They say a lot. You know, our visitors, they, they are no holes barred in their feedback. They, they let you know if they're not happy. And they let you know if they are, but what, whatever they say about First Baptist and whatever they say about us as a group, as followers of Jesus, would they always say that we're humble? Would they always say that we care about what we ought to care about? And for us, Jesus is first. He's the only thing that matters to us. If we do that, and we ask him to mold and shape our hearts so that our hearts back up the gospel message that we proclaim, (laughs) we better hang on to our socks because things are going to get interesting real fast around here if we do that. But before all those things can happen, we have to pray. And we have to be honest about where we really are and where we want to get, and we have to treat Jesus as important enough to do that. And that's what these next few minutes are, are for. And I'm going to pray for you. And while I'm praying for you, I'm going to be asking God to search my own heart. I pray that you'll do the same. And if he tells you to do something, whatever that something is, obey him. Not the second time he asks, or the third time he asks, but the first time he asks. Jesus is worth that. And because he loves us so much, when we didn't deserve it. Don't ever forget that. I don't want to forget that. I don't want to be walking around here with a knowledge of him that is missing that. I, I didn't deserve it. I don't want you to either. Pray for me in that regard that whatever happens, I don't ever forget Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for including the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Scripture so we can have it. Thank you for addressing this issue of people who look down their nose at other people and think of themselves in a way that is not what you would intend. Thank you for this clear object lesson of that. Pray that you would help me. Pray that you would help us as a group to to be the tax collector in the parable so that whatever happens, we can make a whole lot of you in this world while we have the chance because there are tons of people that we know, tons of people that we work with, and tons of people that we love that don't know you yet. and If they were to step out into eternity, they wouldn't be ready. So help us to be humble people that are a credit to you, we pray and do that work because we don't have what's necessary to do to do that only you can only you can extend the grace and the mercy and compassion to us necessary for us to see ourselves and to see you and to see other people the way you say that we should pray that you would do that work we thank you lord that you're not done with us yet that whatever issues we might have and let's be honest i have a lot we as a group have a lot You're bigger than those issues. You can handle those issues. You want to address those issues. So I pray that we would get out of your way and let you do that, and we would obey you because we love you. We just thank you, Lord, because there's nobody like you. There's nobody that has done what you have done for us. Even if you never did another thing, Lord, you have done so much. For us and we praise you for that we just ask that you would work in hearts we just ask that you would change things on the inside of us we ask that you would do what only you can do so that we might live in the what in this world in the way that you want and we thank you lord in christ's name amen